This week on the Product Agility Podcast, we find ourselves in Lisbon, Portugal at the Productize 2023 conference, where attendees will get to hear talks from Melissa Perry, Tammy Reese, Leah Theron and Radhika Dutt, to name but four of the amazing speakers. We are here to do our talks in 10, and they're the best way for you to get the inside track and behind-the-scenes insights on the talks and workshops from the conferences that we partner with, so you don't miss a beat. If you're at the conference, come and find us. We're hard to miss with our podcast t-shirts. If you're not, then just enjoy these talks in 10. And who knows, maybe we'll see you at Productize 24. Today's episode of the Product Agility Podcast comes with a special gift in association with Aha Slides, your go-to engagement tool for fun, engaging and effective learning and workshop experiences. Whether I am teaching the criticality of a clear and compelling product vision or facilitating a product strategy workshop, Aha Slides always makes it a more elevating and effective experience through its polls, quizzes and brainstorming tools. Discover how Aha Slides can elevate both your in-person or remote experiences by visiting Aha Slides and use the code AHAXPROD, which is also in the show notes, for a whopping 50% off of an annual subscription. And here we are with Leia Tadden. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here and quite an honour. You've also got a rather good podcast. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I'm very famous, famous, famous. You're very famous. <laughs> I'm so famous. I'm very famous amongst podcasters to talk about product-led growth because yeah. there's just not that many around, yeah. Product T. Yes, the product T was Leia and I talk a lot about growth, senior leadership and how to not kill scale-ups. Spilling the tea. Yeah, we're spilling the tea. We're trying to be a little bit more... Behind the scenes, what people really love is actionable philosophy, which it's a different word of like unpacking truths that nobody talks about. So like when I talk about my time at Microsoft or Dindale or small PDF, they like when we spill the tea. Like anything that could make some people angry if you talk about it is probably good content for a podcast. Yeah, yeah, you'd hope so. We're trying to be actionable <laughs> and gossipy. <laughs> Not too much, though. I forgot about your small PDF link because small pdf is a product that i use or have used in the past and yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 when I was doing a little bit of re- reading on you beforehand i was yeah it was quite it's nice to see companies that you've had some relationship with yeah so it's a pretty big company it at its height like when i left we had about 50 million monthly active users one of the biggest websites in the entire world what we used to do is monetize any pain that you might have connected to documents and pdfs and uh, yeah, one of the biggest or fastest growing brands that I've ever worked with. I used to lead the core product there. One of the best experiences that I've ever had in my life, for sure. So I'd love to delve into that, but that is not the objective of today. All right. Today, we are looking into your time here at Productize 23. And you had a workshop this morning and you have a talk tomorrow. Yes. Your workshop this morning, I hear it was the, uh, the best workshop ever. I yeah, know. the entire day. I have not attended a better workshop yeah. this entire day. So what was it about? I was talking about product-led growth. How do we expose value to customers in an honest and fast way before we even charge them any money for it? And that's the core topic that I'm also going to talk about tomorrow. Yeah, that's usually what I talk about. The topic of your talk tomorrow isn't what was advertised, though, I understand. Uh, yeah, I kind of forgot the word product-led growth in there, but it's not, it's, not, it's not too bad. Basically, the idea is how can we get sales and product and marketing into the same room without them killing each other, mm-hmm. which is always an advisable thing if you have a company, right? Like it's very hard to align functions together, but ultimately we all want the same goal, which is generating revenue in an honest way with the customers. And that's basically what I'm about. I try to teach companies how to do this at scale. 
yeah, it sounds very lofty, but it is actually quite a cool thing. So when people are going to come to your talk tomorrow, what's the message you want them to take away? It's going to be quite funny because I usually do, how do you say, unconventional presentations. Mm -hmm. Let's say that. There is no introduction slide in there. Or by the time that you're watching this, maybe someone has already seen the presentation. I try to display value first before even introducing myself, which is very product-like growth. But if you're coming for my talk tomorrow, then you should really leave with a feeling of, I kind of understand what she's talking about from a first principles perspective. I'm someone that likes to understand problems from a systemic way. Why are things the way that they are? And ultimately, all of that is extremely challengeable, right? So like if you have a very specific opinion why something works, then you can also get challenged on it. Like it's testable. And that's where the industry is moving. Also as product-like growth, we need to prove that the revenue that we generate is going to be lasting and that the products that we build are actually good and not just on paper. And I hope to show that tomorrow also with my talk. Yeah. You mentioned the word there, systemic. Yeah. So what, when you say systemic, we delve into that a little bit more. What are we talking about here? What systems? What is a systemic aspect of that so one of the things that we usually struggle with when we talk about how do you grow a company we would love to have frameworks that are repeatable how do you do product management how do you do agile how do you do this how do you do that and then what we start to end up with is these huge behemoths of frameworks for scaled up companies like safe or some other organized depressions that are out there <laughs> and they tend just not to work that well because if you imply or like if you start to apply a framework to a complex problem and you don't really understand why it works the way that it does then you cannot adopt it to you a framework is only as good as the way of you being able to transform it to your specific company mm -hmm. and specifically at scale if you start to have more people this becomes incredibly hard and this is what i mean with that so like let me tell you let me just give you an example so like let's say you go to a friend and that friend is doing exactly the same that you do and you're selling cars for instance and he does it in a different country but he sells the same cars that you do so you go to him and you say like hey what makes you successful you can take his playbook one by one and you take it to your country, which would be a metaphor for a different market, and it might still not work. Why? Because you're not seeing exactly in which market that you're selling and like there's always some localities, there's always some kind of differences in the end. And that's kind of the problem. But if you still understand why he's selling successful, what made, <clears throat> sorry, what made his distribution efforts, what made his product special, mm. then you can start to adjust it to your markets, and then start to also use it. So that's why teaching frameworks without a systemic understanding from first principles perspective yeah. is pretty useless. I'm glad for it, though, because otherwise I would not have a job. Yeah. Because that's how I make my money. That sounds really familiar to, very similar to a uh, story of David Snowden. David Snowden? Yes. Who the Kinevin framework. Yeah, he, had one, he, he used to talk about many years ago about a lending uh, product which no. worked phenomenally well in Africa, I think, but then didn't port to another company. He was saying no. you have to look for those. What are those starting conditions? And going to go back to, you say, the first principles and those starting conditions and yeah. understand what made it work. Rather that is than a fantastic example because usually with Portuguese markets, for some reason, I don't know whether it's the language itself or whether it's the culture that is around it, a lot of it tends to happen different when, you, when it comes to the distribution side. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. E-sign solutions, the way that we sign digitally contracts is in Europe and in the US completely different compared to, for instance, Brazil. In Brazil, an e-sign solution does not work without a notary involved, for instance. Okay. It's just a cultural thing. Yeah. And none of this changes the product itself, whether your signature is valid or not. This might be legally exactly the same, but if you do not incorporate these local oddities, 
if you do not understand what drives these markets, you can have the same product and in one market it works and in the other it doesn't. Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating, isn't it? There's a book by a gentleman called David Spinks called Agile Across Borders, mm-hmm. which if, if you kind of ignore the agile thing, it's how, how do different people build relationships and what do they value in, in different geographic locations? He spent months, you think maybe the best part of a year, his part of traveling the world and just studying and researching and found such huge differences between particularly like South America and then and parts of Europe, particularly like the UK and America. Yeah. The, in South America, he was saying that it's much more based on let's build trust mm. and come up with a contract, which is based upon actually not the scope or anything else, but we've, we've got trust. So here's the bare bones of it and let's, let's get this done. Yeah. Whereas in North America, United Kingdom, as an example, is very much more like here's the scope, it's much going to cost and you shall deliver by this point and it just doesn't ever work that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, now going back to something you said around Get Evander, so he's, Making sure there's not a body count in your company between product uh, sales and marketing, getting them in yeah. a room together. Not to give too much away about your talk, but is there any particular useful takeaways or advice you can give to people in regards to how to keep that, how to avoid there being a body count in those situations? I guess the one important thing that you cannot get wrong, and I learned this over consulting dozens of companies, is usually involve everyone, right? So like when you talk about product-like growth, which is a distribution model, you have to work product in there. That might suggest that you only have to talk to the product people because it's a product problem. What I'm essentially suggesting here with product-like growth is usually people equating this to like, okay, you have some kind of free motion with your product, right? So like I give you something for free or a trial or you have an interactive demo or whatever. If you do this without talking to sales, you're basically telling them, hey, we give something for very cheap, so we're going to affect your salary that you as a person is getting, and we tell marketing on how to do their job. And that is a very scary thing. So this is why if you're doing any of these things, then you need to tackle it from a cust- like from, a, from an entire company's level. You need to get everybody on board, everybody on the same table, and you need to do it together. It sounds very basic, but right. it... I just mentioned it because most companies are doing it wrong. So I do not advertise and advise in that sense over CPO anymore. So like any head of product, yeah. it always goes through the CEO or the board, for instance, mm. because that's the well, leverage. Because you you're just going in, in one part and you're not going to get the, the no. overarching alignment. I think that's part of a challenge, isn't it? Is how do no. you, I know product directors and organizations who struggle because they want to get the product out, but they can't get marketing involved in the right way and they can't get sales no. involved in the way that they feel it needs to happen sales would be happy to just go off and having their own story and selling their own thing without ever no. talking to product and marketing would be happy doing the research and it's actually be marketed but it's, yeah, it, it must be difficult then for those senior product people in an organization who don't have that overarching influence i suppose or that control. is exactly what it is and if you're in a smaller company and you're the only product person then Very i only easy. need to convince you because if i convince one person then you're anyways dave the guy that does marketing sales yeah. and product at the same time so that's why at scale-ups this becomes more difficult yeah 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 people yeah who invented those i know amazing well, i don't know i'm not a conversation for another day maybe yeah. i'm not sure <laughs> i think there's a book about there's some books written about it i'm not sure how accurate they are i don't know they're overrated in my opinion <laughs> last thought then and this maybe just a bit for my just to appease myself like departments silos functions whatever you want to call them in organizations they, they're always going it feels like they're always going to exist in some way in the vast majority of organizations you're going to have some semblance of that and a professor that i know once said to me that like all the talk of kind of removing these silos and functions is irrelevant because they're always going to exist humans will always try and break something down and, and box things in yeah. so it isn't about trying to avoid them it's how we interact between them and what alliances which is important i'm just wondering how much do you agree with that statement i disagree with it which 
which is always good podcast material, I guess. But the reason for it is the following. So what we used to do about 10 to 20 years ago is we started to separate people by functions, right? So like we had the product managers, if you had them, probably glorified project managers on floor two in every company building. Floor three, you had the designers with the fancy looking offices and the bathtubs where they can actually spend their coffee breaks in. And then on floor four, you had salespeople, right? So like we started to physically separate people by functions. Then we had the glorious idea, well, we need to break down silos. So let's just move people into cross-functional teams, marketing person, product, designer, but sales is still kind of separate, right? Like because sales is operating a little bit different. And we see these kind of needs to move away from this as much as we can. And now to make the entire thing more frustrating even is we started to found or integrate a growth function into companies. So what does growth do? Growth messes with everyone, with product, with sales and with marketing. Because I don't care where growth comes from. Is it coming from the product? Is it coming from the advertisement side? Or is it coming from revenue? You can mess with everyone. I don't care. As long as I know how to optimize this entire cycle of the customer coming in and then becoming successful before they buy, you can do whatever you want. But this is messing inherently with our need to put labels on stuff. I want to be recognized as Lea the executive. I want to be addressed as, oh, I'm Lea the product person or Lea the marketing person and salesperson. And that's an inherent problem because the customer frankly does not care whether you are from marketing and from product. At scale, you will always have this problem to some degree, but we still will try to break down silos as much as we can. And if you're in a in a, in a scaled up company, like for instance, like Miro or whatever, the smallest unit that can deliver value is still a product team. And we can give them a lot of autonomy and we see that this is happening much more. So you start to have much more power from the bottoms up rather than just from the, bottom, uh, from the top down. And that's not going to change. So I disagree, but I kind of agree. Awesome. And on that note, we'll bring this Talk in 10 conversation to a close. Leia, it's been awesome. To, it's nice to meet you. An honour to have you on the podcast. So thank you very much. And everyone, please do check out Product T. I don't listen to many podcasts because I don't have enough free time, but I do listen to yours. So it's been awesome to get to sit opposite you and have thank this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. If people want to find you, best mechanism for them to do that is... www.leatarin.com That is uh, Lima Echo Alpha Hotel. And then we have Tango Hotel Alpha <laughs> Romeo India November dot com. And I'm also trying to get my pilot's license. That's yeah. why I know this. I say, Leia, thanks for coming on. It's nice to also meet someone who knows her NATO phonetic alphabet. If you do want to talk about becoming a pilot, my friend here, he's running, he runs an airline. Um, I can introduce you. My husband's a pilot. Uh, um, we <laughs> should definitely do that. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.